himself. Yeah, in the name of the Father <laughs> and of the Son. And then the kid goes, I'm going to do it, dunks himself <laughs> before you can even say Holy Ghost. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Balzamo. How are you this morning, Tom? Good. 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 I'm doing great. Good. Good. Well, we uh, if you're new to the podcast, we want to uh, introduce you to this conversation between two uh, close friends who uh, are willing to listen to each other and hear just all these different thoughts, and we reason through things together. Not We're not just talking... Uh, technical theology here. We're talking about life and all these various questions that come up and and how they connect to Scripture and to um, uh, a, a biblical perspective of things. And so yeah. we look forward to your feedback about either what we're talking about, maybe a question that you have yourself. Um, and, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be right on theology, but we, we want you to know that you can have friends that will listen and reason together about some things and not call you a heretic. So uh, right. anyway. Or, or get our, angry at you for asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't ask questions. Well, you need to look. I, I hope you're inquisitive and have questions. Our uh, email address is reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, once you get that typed in there, it can keep popping up in for future questions and just be easy to contact us. So feel free to contact us at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And if you are interested in supporting what you hear, there is a way that you can do that. And uh, that is over at patreon.com slash reason together, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash reason together. We have a number of supporters on there that uh, generously donate their uh, money to help uh, us pay our, our blog editor and technical editor and uh, um, our our actual audio editor and uh, pay for the domain and hosting and all the things that are involved in keeping a content creation website going. Um, and uh, we do appreciate our patrons. And if you'd like to become one, there are some perks you can have, uh, various things. I'm not going to take time to go through them right now because I always do. But you can find that at patreon.com slash reason together and just pick one of those tier levels there and uh, you can be a supporter of the show and we would be very grateful to you. Absolutely. And I want to um, I want to draw your attention as well to the Reason Together blog. If you go to reasontogether.fm and you scroll down, you'll find our blog feature there. And uh, we're putting out now about one a week, and we've uh, we've asked a number of men also to contribute. And I, uh, I really appreciate their help, especially in the early days of the blog, um, getting that going. And it's not we don't we don't have these men uh, just it's not because we're party line that they they believe exactly what we believe, mm-hmm. but they're we believe that they're thinking men of a good spirit, and we can we can throw out these ideas and um, and hopefully be a sharpening influence, challenge you to think, yeah. and um, and so we welcome your feedback on that as well, and even just your interaction with the posts um, right there on the posts. I believe they can give feedback, right, Tom? Uh, yes, they can. They can put their comments on the thread. Our most recent. Uh, article was uh, one that I wrote uh, on um, on a fundamental misconception or, or misleading, which is uh, having to do with our gospel presentation as, uh, for lack of a better term, fundamentalists. And um, mm-hmm. and so you might oh, look at that and uh, yeah, and see what 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 my what my issue was there. What uh, what uh, what part of the gospel yeah. I I've kind of chosen to to pick at all right <laughs> so so am i to understand that this is a play on words 
a fundamental misconception. So is there maybe a, a suggestion in the article? And I actually haven't read it yet. Is there a suggestion in the article that fundamentalism has maybe misconceived part of the gospel? Absolutely. Yes, that's what it is. Mm, and oh at the boy, same time, the boat. <laughs> at the same time, it is fundamental as far as a ground level, because uh, we're talking about the gospel and you need to say it right. You know, right. so, I mean, at the, this, is, this is kind of a ground level issue. Um, and yet it is something that's been very prevalent in our circles, which uh, I don't think is maybe at super accurately termed fundamentalism. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's play on words, and uh, and it's dealing with an issue that I I, I almost say with one hundred percent accuracy or confidence that everybody will know what I'm talking about. When they read it, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, well I've heard that. I, yeah. I've heard that for years." You know, everybody's yep. heard that presentation. You yep. know, it's just, I, I kind, it's of, kind of inescapable because I know you real well, and we've talked about this a lot, both on and off yeah. the air. I kind of have a feeling where you're going with it. Yeah. Without without you saying so, but I'm from what you're saying. I want to go read it now. I'm excited to go good. read it and see. Good. Yeah. See what's <laughs> well, there, listeners, you uh, you can ex- avail yourself of the blog as well, and just keep an eye on those things. Share them on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that would help us out, and I trust help other people out as well. Um, yeah. I have to give a little side side note here. We uh, before we jump into our questions for the day, uh, we are in you know Winter Olympic season now. And I just wanted to make a comment about uh, about the Winter Olympics. There, there's there is a lot of neat stuff. You you have you know snowboarding, and you have all all sorts of the, the kind of the variations of skiing, and you know the slalom, and blah 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 blah. Um, you have your figure skating, speed skating, but there's one um, there's one of the competitions that has been difficult for me in some ways to accept. Uh, and it's and it's fairly new to Winter can I, Olympics. Can I guess? You want to guess what it is? Curling. Curling. Yes. Ah, I knew it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fairly new. I mean, maybe you know, it's three hundred years old as a sport, but but in the Olympics, I think it's fairly new. And and in the last Olympics or two, I I recall seeing it, and I just had a hard time. And I'm going to balance this in a minute, but I had a hard time, like seeing it as legitimate a, in a certain a way yeah because it was like olympic bocce ball that's sort of the way i saw it right. was you know here you know like oh man here we are rolling that ball towards the red you know and i know i know it's a little bit different but now to balance that as i watch it there obviously is skill to it sure. um, and in fact the italian team this year is whooping up on uh on it and from what i've seen so far they're undefeated and they weren't even favorites coming into it they were just sort yeah. of oh they're out there you know and all of a sudden they're like 8 and 0 oh, you know they're eight wins to zero losses and they're just this this uh this there's there's a two person team a, a guy and a gal and uh and the gal is even more spot on than the guy i mean she just can do the but it's really interesting to see. And so you, you can obviously see as they do it, it is a, um, it's a technique game. Yeah, sure. uh, it's like more akin to chess in the sense that it's strategic, it's technical, it's things like that. But there's that side of it that if you, if you told, I mean, it would be one thing if you told somebody, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm an Olympic snowboarder. They're like, whoa, you must be like a really good snowboarder. Like you're really good. <laughs> but when you say, you know, I'm an Olympic curler. 
Yeah. Well, I think like, it's like, so, like, what skill have you picked up in life? Well, I kind of like slide on my knees across the ice and then I like, and then I scrub the floor. I think it's because people expect an Olympic sport to be physically exerting. Y- yeah. I mean, that's, and it. yeah. And, and it's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, if for those n- not familiar with curling, it is kind of like bocce ball, right? I mean, I don't understand all the rules of what? it, but they're essentially taking yeah, this very smooth stone with a handle on it and they're on ice like in a hockey rink and they're pushing it down the ice rink and letting it go until it slides down and i don't i don't even know what the goal is i'm not really a huge olympic watcher but i've watched them do this before they slide the stone but to keep it going a certain way there are guys that run in front of the stone and they're sliding along the ice with brooms and they're like scrubbing the floor really fast in front of this stone it's like to make a clear path for it yeah and it's almost comical Watching someone scrub the floor like that, it just seems kind of kind of comical looking. Which, but which is, I'm I'm sure physically exerting. <laughs> sure, you know what I mean. It'd be like if you tried to like scrub your kitchen floor in 30 seconds. You know, like you know, like this. Yeah, <laughs> you really went at it. And as you watch it, it is really fascinating what they can do because they. Uh, and I don't know if that's why they call it curling, but they kind of, I think, in some ways. And well, it seems like get that ball to curl around or to to curve around and get land into a certain circle, and then it can huh. be knocked out by the opponents. And it really it is it is neat. It just was different as an Olympic sport. Um, yeah, I just uh, but I, I, I'm warming up to it. Yeah, I guess that that is strange. Why do they call it curling? Uh, maybe one of our listeners knows. Um, yeah. I'm not a huge Olympic watcher. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you are or not, but I mean, I've never really gotten into watching the Olympics summer or winter. It's just never been a thing I was super interested in. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen like clips here and there that kind of pop into the news or whatever big achievements, but I don't know. I just never been that interested. And it's almost harder this year to want to watch anything Olympic related because it's in China where where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and apparently uh, I'm not the only one who thinks that way. The ratings for the Olympics have been like the worst they've ever been. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which I can, uh, yeah, sympathize with the whole political a- approach to it to to sure. some degree. And yet, yeah. these people have been training for years. That's not up to them where it's at. You know. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, it's their. Right. It's their. They only get a few times in life to have this opportunity, and and. Uh, mm. So yeah, it, it's interesting. But okay, there you go. There's my thoughts <laughs> on uh, the Olympic sport of curling. All right. So, uh, where do we want to start with our questions today? All right. I want to get right into this one here first. And this, this, we don't have to take super long on this one. I think it's more funny than anything. Um, but it is a valid question. And this one is from one of our patrons, Matthew. Uh, he says, I recently came across this video. Um, and after I finished dying laughing, it got me thinking about something. Why do we have to have someone else baptize us? Now, for context, we'll put this link in the show notes, um, but he sends us this video of this young boy who's getting baptized, uh, and and the pastor is standing over the boy speaking to the congregation, and he's kind of talking a little slower, and he's giving some context to why the boy's being baptized, and and the boy just gets impatient, and he just goes, I'm going to do it, and he pinches his nose, and he dunks himself (laughs) before the pastor is done talking. He yeah, and pops the, up and the out of the water, the- triumphantly waving his hands in the air, and then rushes out of the baptismal tank, and everyone died <laughs> laughing. <clears throat> and it was a funny video. Uh, it was it very was. funny. 
Because the fat pastor was actually in his spiel, like he was about to dunk the kid and the kid just grabs his nose and dunks himself. Yeah. In the name of the father (laughs) and of the son. And then the kid goes, I'm going to do it. Dunks himself before you can even say Holy Ghost. Um, But it does, it does bring up a valid point. So Matthew asks this, as I understand baptism to be a step of obedience, as well as an outward show of following Jesus, why can't the person just invite all the people and then dunk himself? I know whenever baptism is performed in the Bible, it is always uh, a saved individual baptizing a newly saved individual, but I do not know of any passages that explain why. Uh, I can think of one, but we'll get to that in a minute. He says, it is, is, it, is it to give credibility to that person's testimony of salvation? For a practical example, if an African villager receives a Bible, reads it, and gets saved on his own, and then realizes he needs to be baptized, but the missionary is no longer around, can he invite a bunch of people and baptize himself? That's a good question. Yeah. What do you, what right. do you, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, my first thoughts are just like on a just yeah, pretty simple level. But why, uh, why, do, why does someone else have to baptize him? Um, and I would say that just has to do with uh, the biblical model and the biblical mandate. Um, mm-hmm. When you look in scripture, you, people are baptized by other people. Uh, mm-hmm. The disciples baptized on the day of Pentecost or Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I know it's not uh, exactly the same, but John the Baptist baptizing people with the baptism of repentance. It's always you know, done by someone else. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and you say, well, that's just the model. But the mandate is... Um, you know, when you think of the Great Commission, you know, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, you know, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost. So the, the, the part of the command actually is making disciples, baptize them, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or bat, be baptizing the yeah. disciples. It's, it's said to you as the person, you're making the disciple, then you baptize them. Man, you took uh, and my I did, a, did I just steal your answer? You, you stole my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you took the wind out of my sails. I'm like all deflated <laughs> now and, and sad and depressed and so we, we need to go. And, and, now, and now for a, a message from our sponsors. Oh, wait. We, we don't have sponsors. It's our patron, oh, patrons. Okay. So we got to keep going. <laughs> keep together, Tom. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it. Um, let me wipe my tears here. One second. Okay. All right. <laughs> No, 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 you do have a point. And, and, and that was a similar point that I was going to make is, is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the great commission, very well-known passage. Jesus is speaking to people. He is commissioning, right? Yes. He's giving them authority to do something to someone else. And he says, go ye therefore. So this is just simple language uh, that I'm making the argument from is go ye therefore. He's speaking to them. You are who I'm commissioning. And then he says, baptize them. In the name of the Good. Father. Yeah, yeah, right. So those who are commissioned to baptize are baptizing those who are not yet commissioned uh, to, to baptize. But so it's, the idea is that someone is commissioned to do something to someone else um, Good. just mm-hmm. based on the language alone. Um, so that's that's the passage I was thinking of, but you stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but But you added a good clarification. I appreciate that. The, I'm, uh, I'm still mad at you, though. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so, anyway, Matthew, there you go. Um, yeah, that's our thought on it. You know, you can come up with these um, these scenarios, and and I and I get the question saying, "Well, what what if there's nobody there to baptize them?" 
could he baptize himself? Um, it, it, I, I recall, and I don't think it's quite apples to apples here, but do you remember a long time ago, we talked about the Lord's supper Yes, and um, the availability of grape juice? Yes. Like, well, what if you're mm-hmm. in a country where, you know, it would ferment and so they have to use Kool-Aid or whatever, you know, um, can, can they do that? And, um, and anyway, it's kind of similar in yeah. that way that there, there, there's a biblical, um, pattern to it. And I yeah. think we need to stick to that. Speaking of that, can I take a tangent on that for a second? Because there sure. was something that we never talked about with that episode because it actually came up later. Um, so someone asked me, you know, they basically have like a food allergy or, or some sort of intolerance to, mm-hmm. to certain things and, and partaking in the Lord's supper would flare up their allergic response. So mm-hmm. in a case like that, uh, the question was posed to me, do I bring my own materials for this and just partake at the same time as everyone else with different materials or do I just not partake? And and my my uh, guidance on that in the moment was, um, it's probably better to just not partake. <laughs> um, I mean, you're here, the Lord knows you want to, and uh, you, you know, you're doing solemn introspection, you're you're being obedient and observing the ordinance uh, and so on. Um, but you have an allergy to this thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't want necessarily the idea of bringing your own materials to that. I feel like in some way that would, even if it could be done in in a tasteful way or tactful way. It seems like it would um, um, not profane the ordinance, but in a sense, reduce it. Hmm. I don't know. Am am I, am I off track there? No, not necessarily. I I would have to do a little thinking on that. Cause like you say, if it's done in a tasteful way, my bigger concern is actually the elements themselves. Um, right. If somebody said, you know, I'm, I'm allergic to grape juice. And so I'm just going to bring some, um, you know, uh, some, some grape Kool-Aid, you know, or I'm going to bring some, uh, you know, mango juice. I'm going to bring some mango <laughs> juice and, uh, and a coconut, a piece of coconut, you Grape know what soda. I mean? And I, <laughs> it, I would, I would personally be like, no, no. But, but if somebody said, well, I will make my own unleavened bread out of almond flour and blah, blah, blah. And okay. You know, um, I don't know that I could technically say, no, you can't have an unleavened bread of a different yeah. substance than what I buy over the internet or something like right. that. Sure. Um, but now the juice to me, I would still be a stickler on that too. Like, well, no, it's, it's, it's bread and juice. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And so I, then yeah. I would totally agree with you to say, look, the Lord knows. And I think, um, <laughs> I think there are things, uh, like that. And there, this may come up in, in, in another episode. My wife and I were just talking recently about an interesting passage that she read that really kind of seems to give you, a, a, um, an opening into the heart of God. And sometimes we're so, rigid on, um, yeah, on certain particulars. Where was I going with that thought? Um, oh, oh, you know, to say, oh no, 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 I don't care if you're allergic or not. You're going to take the element. No, I, and it's to be like, you know, <laughs> Meanwhile, someone's you, you lips go, are three times the size and, you know, <laughs> yeah, bless God yeah, you, you obeyed. Meanwhile, they're having anaphylaxis and heading to the hospital. And, yeah. That's what I was like. You're going in anaphylactic shock, you know, and like pulling out the EpiPen or what, you know, and like, you know, you take it. Um, Look, does the Lord know that? Does the Lord know the Constitution body better than you do before you did? Um, Does he understand the heart of the matter? Sure. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I actually 
think there's a, a passage that would speak very much to that. And, um, and I will look that up and, and bring it to bear next time. Okay. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, on, on well, that issue, is there a little variability? I, I, I guess I'm more saying, well, maybe in the bread, I guess, if you're really allergic well, to the bread. I mean, yeah, but, I I don't know. I don't want to make it about the elements necessarily. To me, yeah. it's it's a matter of the spirit versus the letter of the law. You know mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. you know of the New Testament church, there are only two ordinances. Um, there's not not a ton of ordinances. There's just these two: yeah, uh, baptism yeah. and the Lord's Supper. And uh, I think when someone really has a heart of obedience and they're they're participating in the ordinance. And I, I hate using the phrase, but it makes sense in spirit, right? Uh-huh. Uh, they're participating in the spirit of the ordinance. They're there to obey it if they could. Um, they're they're there to to um, make sure their heart is in communion with the Lord. So they're they're uh, examining themselves first, and uh, they're they're confessing and forsaking known sin. They're restoring fellowship with the Lord as needed, and uh, they're they're participating in the spirit of the thing. And if they have an allergy, uh, you know, I wouldn't say there's any requirement for them to take it. But for me personally, I think bringing in something else, um, while you know, technically you could say there's nothing wrong with that, I don't know that I would want it done in in my church. It just feels like, in a way, it might diminish the 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 sacredness of the ordinance. Yeah, and I think there was a difference because I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking, like, okay, well, if you open the door to not participate. But do it in spirit. Can you op- are you, are we opening the door to participate in a different way, but in spirit? Well, I think there's a difference between abstaining, especially for a health reason. Of course, that's what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Abstaining and substituting. Mm-hmm. Substitution seems to profane. Essentially, that well, I can kind of make it what I want to. You know, for, for that right. matter, I'll make it a peanut butter and jelly. You know, but but you know, I still love the Lord. And um, well. You know, and, and we've talked about this before, probably in the past with Jeroboam. That was the great sin of Jeroboam was he essentially created a substitute worship. And, yep. uh, you know, you, you're, you're used to going down there. Just go here. You're used to worshiping this way. Worship this way. It's very similar, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that going on in even evangelicalism today. There's been, if you will, substitutions, which have majorly led to profaning worship. Um and yet they'll still say, but you know, but, but my heart's in the right place, yeah. as if that sort of scrubs everything. So yeah. I agree with you that you have to be careful not to profane sure. the ordinance there. Good, good. I know that's kind of a tangent, but you know, nevertheless, uh, helpful to think through. Um, yeah. This next one is one I've had on the list for quite a while that I wanted to deal with. Uh, and this is the idea of pet ownership and evolutionary worldviews. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and the question is basically, if I can preface it this way and, and maybe just give like a quick, you know, your first instinctive answer, can someone adopt a worldview different from the scriptural worldview without really intending to? Uh, they, yeah, certainly be influenced uh, by one. Okay. Yes. I influence. Mean, I, yeah. that's, that's the word I was hoping you'd say, is that people who have a Christian worldview if they're not careful, can be influenced by an evolutionary worldview without mm-hmm. really intending to. And I think it becomes apparent in certain ways. And one of the ways that it does seem to become apparent sometimes is, is pet ownership. Now, uh-huh. before oh, everybody yeah. <laughs> writes me an angry email, 
Yeah. Okay. Oh boy, you're treading on some. I'm, I'm treading on thin ice. I am not against pet ownership. Uh, I am against it for for me right now at this point <laughs> in my life. Um, you know, I figure, you know, why should why why should animals have the right to live in my house? You know, I mean, they, why should I be cleaning up after this thing? Right. Uh, in, in my home, you know, I feel like, you know, God has made human beings to learn and to grow and become sophisticated and have dominion over the earth. And then I'm going to take this animal and bring it into my house and let it, you know, make disappointing things all over my carpet. Uh, no, thank you. Um, but, uh, so I have nothing wrong with pet ownership. I just don't want any pets uh, at this point in my life. Maybe someday in the future I might, but right now I don't. Um, but I live in a part of the country where I have observed more dedicated pet ownership here than in anywhere else I've ever lived. Yeah. And I wonder what is the correlation? Is there a correlation? So I've lived in the Midwest for a good portion of my life and people own pets, but it seems different right? Mm -hmm. Number one, it's not, it doesn't seem as prevalent. Number two, when they do own pets, it's a lot of times for utilitarian reasons. So the pet will live outside, uh, like a dog for security or a cat to deal with mice or whatever. So it's a lot more utilitarian. Um, but here pet ownership is almost like a fashion accessory or like an additional child in the family. And I wonder, okay, is there a correlation between the worldview of the Northeast, right, which is predominantly secular, and pet ownership. And I think there is a correlation. Whether or not there's causation, I can't prove, but I think there's a correlation. So like, like I said, there's nothing wrong with pet ownership, but when people love pets so much that they treat them almost with this reverent loyalty to the pet where they're spending thousands of dollars a year for its its maintenance and its right, health care right. and yep. they treat the pet like another member of the family even so much as calling it a child uh you know mm -hmm. there's just a lot mm -hmm. of that that seems to happen around here and i wonder if uh, evolutionary biology has been an influence to even christians in this part of the country without us really thinking about it much. And, and I think there's two ways where it, where it tends to happen is that is the idea of animal equality with human beings, right? Um, that is a secular humanist idea. That is an evolutionary biology idea that we are animals. We're just a more intelligent form of animal. Mm -hmm. So we should treat animals with the respect that we would give to a human being because human beings are animals in the evolutionary mindset. And, and it's like, I wonder if that has rubbed off even on Christians in this culture where, you know, there's, there's almost this undying loyalty to a pet. Now I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to deny the truth that there could be an emotional attachment to a pet. Well, yeah, sure. And, and I'm not even going to say that that's wrong. Okay. No, if huh? someone's emotionally attached to a pet, I can understand that. Uh, I can't even say that I would be immune to that. Uh, I could see myself becoming emotionally attached to a pet that you've had a long time. That's fine. I see nothing wrong with that. But mm -hmm. it's the degree to which we change how we live for the sake of that emotional attachment. That to mm -hmm. me is where it becomes kind of a problem. Um, so like, as a man, I have a responsibility to be a good steward of my money. I have a responsibility to provide right. for my family. I have a responsibility to budget my time. 
And if I love a pet so much that it's consuming thousands of my dollars per year and it's taking up hours and hours of my time, my family has to change the way that they live to care for an animal that maybe has health problems or whatever. Uh, you know, that just, it makes me wonder, you know, when, when is, when is it too much? When is it too much? Uh, when do you just have to do what needs to be done? Right. And, and, and let nature take its course with, with the beast. Right. Um, right. And I'm probably making some people mad by saying that, but it makes me wonder if there's a, a mindset, a worldview from the world that has in kind of infiltrated into our thinking when it comes to pets. And, and the other thing was uh, the elevation of emotional comfort. So the first thing was animal equality with human beings that, that comes from the evolutionary biological mindset. But the second thing is pri prioritizing emotional comfort. So like mm -hmm. that is also a secularist view that my emotional comfort is my identity. So I have to do everything I can to protect it. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. So, so if I have emotions that are attached to this pet and this pet gets cancer or, or gets some other health problem, right. <clears throat> I need to pay all this money, all this time so that my emotional comfort can be protected. Cause I don't want to lose this pet or I don't want my children to lose this pet. What I'm doing is I am prioritizing emotional comfort instead of learning to deal with emotional issues, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that is a secularist mindset. So I wonder if in these two ways, uh, an evolutionary worldview has kind of been adopted almost without knowing it by Christians who don't just simply like pets, but love them with this undying love as if they're a member of the family. Does that make sense? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, largely that was some good thoughts you had there. And I, and I, we had talked before you were, you were, you were debating on how to term that, whether it was like a hu like pets and humanism or pets yeah. and, you know, the evolutionary biology. But as you're talking, yes, there is a, uh, an evolutionary component to that thinking. Um, though, honestly, I actually, as I'm, as I'm listening to it, I really would classify it more under humanism really? because um, a large part of that is uh, if I could say, you know, you know, there's a, a, sure a vast swath of Christians who, who have pets, not a problem, but who um, probably don't have uh, a, a, a proper uh, or an accurate biblical perspective of their pet. And um, it's not because necessarily they see, I don't, you know, and, and to any degree that they accept evolution is partly because they've just put themselves they, they've 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 been ignorant on or remained ignorant of any biblical view of animals uh or of themselves or of their uh role or priorities as believers you like you said stewardship and time management yeah. and and those different things and to the degree that they're ignorant of the biblical model or the bi biblical uh, mindset they are in some ways humanistic in saying you know, whatever way I see is best is best. Um, whether that's, you know, and obviously that's influenced maybe in some ways, or at least it, it looks like it has an appearance of having an evolutionary mindset. Mm -hmm. It's basically humanistic in that I'm saying in that, in that I'm the one that determines, I am the one that determines what is the right way to handle this pet. And yeah. I agree with you that a lot of people, um, have, um, they, they need to tweak, at the very least, tweak their perspective and understand 
uh, what does the Bible say about animals? They are less than human, number mm -hmm. one. Um, and number two, the righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. So you have to I was couple gonna, those. <laughs> I was going to say, someone right now listening to me explain all of that a moment ago is probably right now typing in Proverbs 1210, you know, <laughs> sending me an email, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Um, yeah, right. I, I'm not suggesting that we be cruel to animals. Right, right. Obviously not. not. And that when you say, you know, there's, there's emotional attachment. Sure. I, when, you know, when I was young, uh, when I was nine years old, we moved out to the country and kind of jumped into the country life and had in over the years had, we kind of said everything but pigs, I think, or maybe it was everything but pigs and goats. Um, you know, a few sheep, a few horses, you know, cows, different things. Um, but, um, Anyway, so we had, you know, so we had rabbits at one point, rabbits, they're living out in the barn that didn't keep my sister from being emotionally attached to them, mm -hmm. you know, or we had two sheep and, uh, at one point and I got to name one and my sister got to name one. And so me, I just sort of called it what it, what it looked like, you know, I was, so I looked at this lamb and said, well, what am I going to name this one? Um, and so I, she, well, but see by my sister, she kind of went at it from the, like the Anne of Green Gables approach. Um, so her, she had this very flowery name for her lamb and her lamb was Cordelia. And I just sort of looked at it like, well, it is what it is. And so mine was named Fat Face. And so we had Cordelia <laughs> and Fat Face, um, you know, but what I'm saying is that it didn't have to be in the house for her to be emotionally attached to it. Sure. Um, there is a natural emotional attachment to this, uh, what is an intricate and beautiful creation of God that is, it's fascinating. And it, and it's made, I think in some ways to bring pleasure. Yeah, it's utilitarian, but, but God is, you know, you know God has made these masterpieces and yeah. there's something to be uh, valued and, and, and appreciated, even loved, we might say in some ways. Um, so I don't see, I don't see the problem with the attachment, but where we get off is where we then begin to blur the lines, uh, as to this thing's role, um, and its actual value, you know, yeah. it is still an animal and it is, you know, made for a certain purpose. And so I have to really ask myself the serious question, how much, how much of God's money, you know, that he's permitting me to steward, yeah. does he want me to funnel into the care of this thing that I brought into my home out of its, in some ways, natural habitat. Um, I've rearranged its habitat. Like you say, now this thing that would just live its life outdoors. Now I have to scoop after, you know, or I have to do this and that. And, and now I have to maintain its quality of life and I have to give it food since it has no place to hunt. And so I'm changing its whole thing and now I'm dumping money into it. And then it begins to yeah. develop health problems. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we have to we have to get a biblical perspective of sure what do we got to do here? Well, I mean Proverbs twelve ten is dealing with a beast of burden. Um, that's not talking about a pet that you own for fun or for emotional reasons. Um, <clears throat> basically, the righteous man takes care of his beast when it works hard. He lets it eat. He gives it water. He takes care of it. Whereas right. the uh, the right. the wicked man was just cruel to the thing. He doesn't care. Um, yeah. that's talking about beast good. of burden. Good. Um, but like a good, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, a good example of this, let's say you're, you're getting ready to, to go to church, right. And your dog gets out and runs away and you have no idea where it is. Right. Do you skip church to find the dog or do you just say, sorry, dog, you're on your own. I've got a priority here. Um, for me, 
I'm sorry, dog. You're going to spend the night out in the cold. I mean, you, you, you chose your bed. You know, you, you got to lie down in it now. You know, I've got a priority here. There are expectations of me. You know, I'm not going to sacrifice something that's a higher priority for the dog, right? Yeah. Um, well, and we just we just went through this here in the last year with uh, with a pet at home. Um, I'm not necessarily pet averse. I'm just lazy probably when it comes to pets. So I know that I don't really want to take something out for a walk twice a day in the middle of winter. I don't want to do it. I just would rather stay inside. Yep. So for that reason, you know, I might like a dog, but I don't want to, you know, but we kind of thought what, when the, when the kids get old enough and they want to take care of it, it would provide some joy there or whatever. So we ended up uh, years back, we got two cats. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and as typically happens, they got older <laughs> and they, and they, uh, so, so the one is obviously developing, began to develop these health problem. I mean, health problems where, yeah, it was just evidencing some problem uh, and, and probably related to age. And, you know, we had to start going through this thing of saying, well, what do we do? Okay. Well, let, so, so we got like this first test done. Well, we think he might be diabetic and well, what, what does that mean? Well, first you might have to change his diet and eventually you might have to go to insulin shots and, and whatever, what, well, then what, how, how much is that going to cost? You know, we kind of had known that we'll buy food and litter, but at a certain point when, when it's taking, when it's starting to ruin your own physical <laughs> things, uh, by what it's doing and, mm -hmm. and then it's uh, taking an inordinate about a, amount of money and all these things to try to preserve this life. And, and I have to ask, well, for what, right. I mean, it is, it is an animal, you know, yeah. um, it, and I'm not talking about a baby because that is a human being made in the image of God with a mm -hmm. soul. This is an animal. And so at what point then can I just say, you know what, I can let this go and I'll do it humanely. I can even, uh, I can even pay to have it, what do they call it? You know, essentially euthanized in, 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 a, in a calm way that I think is actually kind to the animal. Um, but you have to make those hard decisions. Does mm -hmm. it pull on the emotions? Sure. Do you mm -hmm. want to try to make it comfortable? Yeah. But, but then, like you said, ask yourself, why am I doing that? Am I making it comfortable so that I'm comfortable, so that right. I feel like I'm, well, again, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what do they do to a gyroscope? Um, they, uh, I'm looking for a specific word, uh, calibrate. You know, you have okay. to calibrate your thinking to biblical teaching, you know, and I'm, yeah. a, and I'm a steward and this is an animal and what role does it play and how high does my comfort and what is my real motivation and how is this helping and how is this detracting yeah. and, and things like that. So yeah, it and has I, a role, but boy, they, they can become, I, I see what you're saying. They can become so important. And I've seen that more as I've had to go to the, um, the vet, you mm -hmm. know, or you start to watch out more like they have this service for dogs and they have this available for dogs or, or, or for, for animals. And, and now mm -hmm. there's someone who will do this and you're like, really? Wow. It kind of sounds like it's yeah. a human. And you I know? suppose, and like, Whoa, buddy. I suppose if you had like, if money was no object and you had just unlimited disposable income and you wanted to take care of your pet, like, you know, in different ways, just because the pet is your hobby, you know, fine. I have no problem with that. But, you know, it's especially bad if you don't have that kind of disposable income or you have debt and, and, and now you've got this animal that you're spending, you know, thousands of dollars on per year. It just seems to me like unwise, you know, and it's all for the sake of emotional comfort and, and, and a secular humanist mindset has infiltrated 
by that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm not yeah, saying all pet owners are humanists. I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying it can get to that point, especially if someone has spent a yeah. lot of their time with their mind in the world, it certainly can rub yeah. off. Well, and I, and that's oh. an interesting point that you make right at the end. There is not, I've been focusing kind of on the animal, uh, and the biblical view of the animal. And you're also bringing in into play, um, the personal comfort aspect of mm-hmm. me you know, revolving a lot of choices around my personal comfort and desires and happiness. Wow. We got to really watch out for that too. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, one more question. I think we have time for, okay. did, did you yep. want to pick one or, or I kind of have one in mind here? Go ahead. Um, no, you go okay. ahead. This one is from a listener named David and he says, what are your thoughts on the origin and practice of deputation for missions? How do you think this was handled in the early church? I know Paul made tents, but there are other examples or, but are there other examples? That's a question. And along similar lines, how do you feel about the organizations that tend to focus more on raising your support from individuals as opposed to churches? I feel like this is a newer practice and I'm not sure what to think of it. Interested in your thoughts. Well, this is going to be good um, because we haven't had much time to think over this. So this is this is going to be an example of a conversation between friends as they're bouncing thoughts off. It's not like we've prepared this three-page essay yeah. in advance and have all this. Yeah. You're going to hear us kind of reasoning through it, not having all the thoughts or all the details well, necessarily hashed out. And uh, and again, share your thoughts on it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have been on deputation. Um, yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> yes, I, spent, <laughs> <true>. <laughs> I spent two years on deputation and... I, I don't know of the origins of it. To me, it seems like it's probably right, not. Nor one do of I. Those, it's probably not one of those things you can put an exact uh, origin date or time or year on this. It probably happened organically uh, over church history. Um, <clears throat> but well, can I can I insert a thought there? Sure. Honestly, I think that just from the very limited knowledge that I have here, um, was it? Uh, am I thinking? Yeah, William Carey. Um, you know, kind of what's it, the first Baptist missionary? Am I remembering that correctly? Possibly. Um, I, it, it almost seemed that the seeds of deputation were essentially there because, and I guess I say that because uh, I don't remember the man's, his counterpart's name who basically said, you go and I'll hold the ropes. Well, okay, you have to go, you have to be supported somehow. And there's probably some, a few of us anyway, yeah. on this side of the, of the, of the ocean who will help to support you. Well, that's the basic idea is sure. finding people who are going to help support that work. Well, and that's why I say it depends on how you're defining deputation. Do you mean multiple yeah. ch- churches supporting a missionary? Uh, if yeah. that's what you mean by deputation, then obviously it existed long before William Carey. Um, but the idea of modern deputation in which the missionary must travel to all of these churches to garner support, that seems like a newer invention. Um, and it, there, there are quite a few problems with the system, but yet it's one of those situations where we don't really have another option. Uh, no one yet has has discerned a better option, despite all of the technology that we have today and the ability to get to know people uh, remotely. Uh, we still have to have missionaries spending thousands of dollars on gas and vehicle maintenance and years of their life traveling to places uh, to garner support. Um, it, it's definitely got some flaws uh, and and could use some some changes, but. 
you know, trying and, to reinvent the wheel at this point, especially with Baptists is, uh, <laughs> eh, not gonna yeah, happen. Now I would on, on, I'd also say it probably has its strengths. Um, and, and my initial thought is, and, and again, this is, we're speaking not necessarily real deep here, but, um, my initial thought is that it is a method. Um, God, God does care how we do what we do. Um, and yet it doesn't necessarily, you know, the scripture doesn't necessarily lay out how to do all of what mm-hmm. we do. So um, to say that sometimes we, we as humans do develop methods for what we do. Um, and God, I believe, does care about those methods and whether they're in line with, uh, with wisdom and with his overall design. But say, for instance, how one person prepares a message to somebody else or how one person uh, you know, chops wood <laughs> to somebody else. Okay, uh, th- there are you know, principles of wisdom involved there, but not necessarily a sc- an exact scriptural mandate. So mm-hmm. when we go to deputation, that is a, a, a means to an end. It's a method of how we get it done. It's not, um, it's not doesn't have to be the only one. And it right. doesn't, as we're navigating through the method, we're recognizing, ah, oh, that's kind of a, that's a drawback of that method. And yet there's some strengths of that method. And sure. we can kind of debate through those. Um, well, it doesn't have to be that it is the biblical method or it is anti-biblical. Uh, yeah, it is a method. There really we isn't. we have to analyze, is it wise or not? There really isn't a good biblical example of anything like it, really. you know. And you can't point to the mm-hmm. life of the Apostle Paul. It, it, there were some differences in how he was supported versus how missionaries get support today. Um, in that, that he was able to work wherever he went. And today missionaries are not able to do that legally in a lot of places. Right. Um, right. But the, you know, the other side of it too is, yeah, the places that often helped Paul financially were places where he had been and he did know those people. So he was there face to face with them. But then you have Mm -hmm. other instances in which an offering was collected for the church in Jerusalem by all of these other churches that uh, that participated in this, and they'd never met the people in Jerusalem face to face at all. Uh, you know, so I mean, does the support of someone always have to include a face to face meeting? No, I don't think it does. And and I have seen it happen in the deputation uh, world where churches will take a missionary on for support, sight unseen, based on mm-hmm. the recommendations mm-hmm. of trusted people that they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. I think that's great. You know, if someone yeah. uh, has a recommendation or a reference like that, I think that's great. That saves the missionary a lot of time and a lot of money. But we're kind of locked into this system where we have to meet them face to face all the time, you know, and hear them preach and all these other things. And it's like, is that really necessary? Not in every case. No, I don't think it is. Um, <clears throat> so. Yeah, not absolutely necessary. I, um, if, as far as the, to go to the question before I add some other thoughts, raising supports from individuals as opposed to churches. What's your thought on that, Tom? I mean, we talk about the church being God's organization in in the New Testament yeah. age. Um, and I have a thought on that that I want to kind of question, well, but what, what's your I take? mean, first off, I, I, I have a hard time thinking, how would you stop that? You know, if, if, <laughs> if I, as a free individual, want to give some of my money to a missionary that I know, and the church that I'm a member of doesn't support him, can I send money to his missions agency for his support? I honestly don't see a problem with that. Um, 
you know, or his clearinghouse, whoever's taking care of his finances. I don't see a problem with, with supporting him that way. A reason why a lot of people give through the church these days is because of the tax benefits of it and so on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have an issue with individuals supporting missionaries. Okay. Let me ask this. Um, do you, do you think that, um, part of the reason uh, do you think there's a case to be made for encouraging people to support missions through their church uh, so as to be kind of in sync um, mentally with their church that, yes, this is our ministry um, and that these are ones that we as a church corporately have vetted, we have chosen, you know, at least our style sure. of government here says that missionary recommendations rise from the people they they make the recommendations when we open a unit of support because we don't uh we don't do the faith promise aspect which i'm just going to put a slight uh touch in here to say that the passages that are probably used to preach faith promise aren't really good passages to to mm -hmm. validate faith promise that's correct um but when we open a unit of support in our budget and we say this is just a part of our budget that we support you know, world missions. Um, and we have a unit opened up. Now we would like to uh, take recommendations from the people, from the people that have presented their work here. You've seen the people, you've had the opportunity to talk with them, to consider their burden. Uh, here's the, uh, right now, in fact, that process is open at our church right now. And I think there's half a dozen. Okay. You have six people uh, recommend, you know, a couple that you feel like I, this is who I believe God would want us to partner with then we will take it uh, into the deacons meeting and we'll take it by the one that was uh, that was voted on the most. Okay. So the one mm -hmm. that gets the most votes has the most people saying, I think that's the one we need to partner with. Then we act on that nomination amongst the deacons and the pastors. You know, is there anything to disqualify that person? Uh, if not, you know, if, if it's a yes vote there, it goes back to the people to ratify. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is it arises from the people and yet it's a corporate process so that in the end, we as a body, we as a church family have decided this is, if you will, our missionary. Yeah. Where if someone else just says, yeah, well, I, I want to support this guy over here. Not saying they can't, but is it is it wise and advisable to kind of point them to say, but this is the missions program of your church. Yeah. Um, what well, do you think? I, I don't, I mean, there's a difference between being out of sync and doing something extra. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you're still uh, supporting yep. the church missionary that the church has has voted on, I don't think you're out of sync. And if you want to do something extra for a missionary that the church has not taken on, uh, maybe they don't have a second unit, uh, but you have a little bit extra that you'd like to give. Uh, I have no problem with that because you're not out of sync with the church. You're just doing something extra. I think it's a different story where you're like, um, the church has voted on a particular missionary and you're like, I will not support that missionary. I want to support this one. Uh, instead, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and maybe for certain reasons, the church particularly voted that other one down, or or did not choose that one. You know, and uh, I think it, mm -hmm. there you can become out of sync that way with your local church. But yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't think from a pastor's perspective we can always know why a person would do that. Not to mention their personal finances really aren't our business. Um, yeah. So I I wouldn't know if they were, and so I can see wanting to say, oh wow, I I appreciate that ministry, and and to be honest. A church can't take on every good missionary. No. We don't have that financial capacity. So so you as an individual may see several other missionaries that you feel like, 
these are godly people. And I would love, even if it's by a one-time gift, you know, I see this missionary, wow, he's doing a good work. Uh, I, I would walk up, you know, maybe you think I would walk up and give him a hundred dollar bill. Well, okay, yeah. great. You know, be a blessing. Yeah. Um, and so, so I can understand that aspect of it. And yet there are probably, you know, there may be some people that feel like, well, I, you know, are, are going to express resistance to the, if you will, the church program yeah. by kind of diverting their money here or there so as not to exactly. Sure. Uh, well, I think, you know, I think it's kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, the whole modern deputation idea and, and the whole modern missions support idea of supporting many missionaries for small amounts of money comes from this idea that, you know, taking the, the Great Commission to literally mean one church must go into all the world. Uh, that's physically impossible. <laughs> no matter how many missionaries you take on, you will never reach the whole world as one church. Um, you just, you can't do it. You just can't do it. Um, I, I have to wonder if maybe if we wouldn't have gone that way uh, in church history, if instead churches would have said, okay, instead of us focusing on, you know, spending all this money on massive fancy buildings and big programs and stuff, let's use the money we've raised to take on an additional pastoral staff member and send them out fully supported and have them start a church somewhere. And then one church then is responsible for the support of that one missionary. And then you say, well, that, that's not reaching the whole world. Well, that's not true. Uh, that's that's just not true. Uh, you can't put the entire burden of the Great Commission on one church. Um, but uh, right, right. yeah, so I mean, in a sense, you know, you could one eliminate- One local church. And that's where people kind of get confused if they don't see uh, a a world aspect to the church at large versus a local body. Right, right. And that's a whole nother discussion. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that in a sense would eliminate the entire process of deputation. It would enable you to raise someone up in your own midst that you can trust, that you have personally vetted, that you've personally trained, uh, eliminating all of the headaches of having to drop missionaries that you eventually find out didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, it, maybe not eliminating, but at least mitigating that. Um, it would save a lot of time, a lot of resources. You know, if uh, if churches had done things that way generations ago, as opposed to the deputation system evolving to be what it is. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like that would have been maybe even better quality uh, as well, but good. You know, it would be fun. I'm just thinking as uh, it would be fun to make a graph um, of strengths and weaknesses of the deputation system. Mm -hmm. You know, we could say, well, there's this weakness, or or somebody can, you know, it, it kind of devolves into a typical format. You show a video, you say we've been mm -hmm. here, you tell them the population and the great need, you answer a few questions about the culture and then you leave and they don't know any more about you than they knew about yep. anybody else. That's right. You know, the flip side of that, you know, is that it makes a missionary convey his burden to churches. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just say, I want to go into missions and then um, say as in the Southern Baptist system, you know, the downfall of that is that the local church may never see the missionary because uh, the co cooperative program says, yep, boom, you're fully supported. Um, and these churches, you know, go on for years and never actually see a real live missionary. Yeah. Um, you know, so anyway, there, there, there's there's pros and well, I cons mean, here and there. Uh, it'd be fun to make a graph and have yeah. like, even our listeners and, or our and patrons. Uh, sure. And before it. the age of technology, that maybe would have been different. But I mean, now people can can Skype call or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. There's so many ways 
that people can communicate with a missionary on a personal level uh, like never yeah. before. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think there could be some valuable changes um, to the deputation system uh, with that. But, uh, you know, again, that'd be reinventing the wheel. And uh, many have tried it. And so far, no one has succeeded. <laughs> one thought before we close, I know we're getting a little late here, um, is he asked the question, how do you feel about the organizations that tend to, and here's the keyword, focus more on raising your support from individuals? Is that wise that for, in, for, for, for uh, organizations to focus on individual support instead of church support? I'm not aware of these organizations. Maybe they've cropped up in the years since I did deputation, but um, I don't know. I guess I've, I've thought about it before. Maybe something like, like a GoFundMe or something like that, but for missionaries, um, maybe, uh -huh. maybe something like that has cropped up that I don't know about, but that's, that's what comes to mind. And mm -hmm. uh, people raise a lot of money with GoFundMe type things. Um, but again, that seems to focus on, on taking it completely out of the local church setting, which troubles me a little bit. Um, while I can't say it's inherently wrong for individuals to support a missionary, even with an online platform, um, that almost seems to take too much of it out of the hands of the church. I agree. I'd say it's a little concerning to uh, focus on individuals uh, outside of the umbrella of the of their local body and that kind of corporate work together. Um, again, not to say that somebody can't support a missionary in some way individually, but to try to focus and draw people to missionaries uh, outside of the, if you will, the influence or the approval of their their you know local church. I think that could be problematic. Yeah. Anyway, I think we need to uh, we need to. Uh, get going here, but we want to thank again our our listeners, especially our patrons who uh, support this endeavor here. If you have any thoughts, please uh, send them our way. Reason Together Podcast at Gmail .com. Take a look at our blog and uh, and the and the recent um, submissions there, and keep your eye on that. All right. Well, thank you again for uh, listening to this episode, and uh, hopefully it was helpful to you. And uh, we do appreciate all of you. Um, again, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>